Alright, we don't do very much Jets on Keep to the City, uh, mainly because I'm a Giants fan, and uh, mainly because the Jets haven't been relevant for the last few years, but uh, things look like they're on the up and up, maybe somewhat, for the Jets this season, and joining me to talk uh, Jets football, preview their season with Week 1 set to go this weekend is Chris Lepresti, the Jets beat reporter for WFAN. Chris, how's it going today? It's going alright, Neil. It's been a while. Good to be with you. I know, it has been. I feel like, you know, we're usually talking about the Rangers. Uh, this is our first football, uh, you know, related podcast. But you starting up with the Jets last season, um, and last season being the last year of Kevin Gilbride with the Giants uh, and with the Giants and Jets playing a lot of games at the same time, I feel like we didn't give him a proper send-off together on Twitter during a lot of the games when, uh, you know, we used to have uh, some, some pretty good jokes about Gilbride. Yeah, I will admit that uh, I'm probably not locked in on the Giants the way I once was, especially on Sundays uh, when the Jets are playing. It kind of keeps my keeps me preoccupied. But uh, you know, I, I I will never really shy away from my Giants fandom. It'll always be there to an extent. But uh, yeah, I can't I can't quite devote the time I used to to them, which is okay. I, I don't mind I don't mind this gig. It's been a lot of fun so far, following the Jets around. So I'm enjoying it. Well, I remember I did make a joke to you, uh, maybe a couple months ago back, about you know how you could deal with um, the Jets. At the time, I forget what the news story was, but something you know nonsensical, Jets related. And uh, you know, you you mentioned, like you just said, you you actually love covering them and, and love the the crazy storylines that go with this team. Yeah, it's been fun so far. I mean, it, keep, it keeps it interesting. Usually, in any given week, there's uh, there's something going on that that kind of perks everyone's interest. So it's not always a positive thing, but I feel like, you know, the Jets have kind of built up this reputation over the, over the years, and even with their fan base, they're kind of expecting the worst. But um, I don't know. I think, it, I think it gets overplayed to an extent. I think it's, it's been a little bit quieter last year and uh, even to an extent this year. There have been a couple of things. But you look around the league, there's stuff going on with most teams, players, front office things. There's, there's, there's usually some controversy to speak about. So I don't think it's just specific to the Jets. Yeah, they've, they've certainly had their share of, uh, of incidents over the years, but uh, it's, it's not too bad, and it keeps things interesting. You don't really want to cover a team that's boring because that's not fun for anyone. Yeah, and maybe it's not the same that it was a few years ago when Rex uh, you know, was chirping Bill Belichick or talking about going to the Super Bowl um, or doing whatever he does, likes to do in the preseason or, or basically whatever a microphone's in front of his face. But you know, this offseason, or preseason at least, they had a lot of storylines with uh, you know, Stephen Hill getting cut, Dimitri Patterson going AWOL, and and saying he wasn't AWOL, maybe not knowing what AWOL means. Um, and it just seems like there's always something about the Jets, and maybe it's because, you know, we're in the New York area, we're here, we see, we have to hear about this team, and maybe the rest of the country doesn't get that vibe. But like you said, there always seems to be uh, some story to go with the Jets. And when you look at what happened during this preseason with everything that went on with them, what do you think was the most intriguing thing you had to deal with? Is it, is it the Patterson thing, the Hill thing, or, or something else completely? Well, I think the Patterson thing was was had kind of caught people's attention just because there was so much you know mystery behind it. We still don't know exactly why he decided not to show up for that preseason game against the Giants. All we know is that he didn't, and the team couldn't get in touch with him. And when they finally did, uh, it didn't end very well. They brought him in, they spoke to him, they suspended him for a few days, and in the meantime, he <laughs> went through they went through another media outlet to basically call the GM and the head coach liars. So I think the writing was on the wall that it wasn't going to end well. 
Uh, I thought he might survive the the initial 53-man roster cutdown just because the Jets had uh, so many injuries and question marks in their secondary. But uh, ultimately, they decided you know to go in another direction, and and I think that was probably the best move for both sides. The Stephen Hill thing was interesting to me just because. I know it kind of became a story as we got closer to cut-down day and people were saying, well, I think he might get cut. That was something I felt even going back a couple of weeks, not that I had any sort of you know inside source or anything like that. I was just kind of using my eyes and some, some common sense that, hey, here's this huge, enormous, physically gifted receiver in his third year that continues to make some of the same mistakes and continues to show some of the same inconsistencies he did since his rookie year. And, and I just thought that... I didn't. I couldn't really see a scenario where the Jets were going to stash him away for another year on a roster at a position that, that quite frankly, just doesn't have enough depth. I think to to be able to just stash stash away a guy. And there were other players that came in and performed better, and quite frankly, ran circles around Stephen Hill this summer. So John Idzik has preached competition since he took the job as GM. To me, if you were really looking at it objectively at the wide receiver position. Stephen Hill did not compete and perform well enough to earn a spot. And I give the Jets credit for moving on from him. Uh, I wasn't sure that they would, but I think it was the right move. You mentioned both Idzik and objectivity there, which brings me to what I want to talk about next, and that is you, know, you as a Giants fan, you can watch these Jets, you can report on the Jets objectively uh, you know, as a reporter does. And with these moves, like you said, it comes down to Idzik uh, citing competition, wanting the team to you know have these little uh, mini competitions for position battles um, throughout the preseason, and it seems like Jets fans as a whole, I guess, seem to be split on whether they like Idzik or not. And I guess any person in any general managerial position, whether you know it's baseball, football, hockey, doesn't matter. You're never going to please everyone. But what's the sense you get not only around the team but around you know Jets fans who I'm sure interact with you in social media and stuff? You know, do you think most people are behind Idzik and 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 the movement he's doing with the Jets here? I'm starting to sense a little bit more of a split than maybe there was initially, uh, and and I think really where the split comes is. You have to look at the personality of, of, of each individual fan, not that I know them all that well personally, but just in interacting with some of them on Twitter, answering questions, having debates with them. I think the people that have more uh, a more similar personality to John Idzik, that kind of level-headed, long-term viewpoint, they're on board with what he's doing. And the Jets fans, like a Joe Beningo at WFAN, who live and die with every, you know, every every single moment of this team, and are heartbroken that they haven't seen the Jets even get to a Super Bowl, let let alone win one since the one they went to back in the late '60s. I think those people just they live on a on a game to game, week to week, year to year basis. And for them to see a GM leave, you know, anywhere between twenty and twenty five million dollars in cap space available for this season, uh, and to have some of the question marks they do specifically in their secondary. I, I think those people are are quick to react, and I don't want to say overreact, but they're quick to kind of burn Idzik before we even play a single regular season game yet. People, I can't tell you how many questions I feel from people. Why won't they spend the money? They've missed out on all these guys. The secondary is going to be a disaster. They're going to have a terrible year. Meanwhile, we haven't even lined up and played the season opener yet. And anyone who follows the NFL knows it's it's fun to make pr- predictions and prognosticate before the season and try and figure everything out. Rarely does it work out the way we all expect. So uh, I can't really def- – I'm not trying to defend the, the moves or the lack thereof from Idzik uh, this past off season. I think he did upgrade in some areas. Uh, I'm simply saying let's wait and see how it plays out before we rush to you know, put the guy over the fire for moves that he may or may not have made this past off season. 
Well, when you live uh, in a season, you know, play-by-play or game-by-game or however you want to look at it, um, obviously that's a dangerous game to play, especially when it comes to a team or a franchise like the Jets. And and that, you know, speaks about their quarterback situation as well with Geno uh, going into the season as a starter and Michael Vick backing him up. And it it seems like at least, um, you know, through this current point in time that Vic said everything right and done all the right things, uh, supportive of Gino. And maybe he's just doing that to, for good, uh, you know, PR for himself in the event that he needs another job in the future. But it seems like once the game start, um, once Gino either succeeds or fails, everything will change both from the fan perspective and from, you know, the backup quarterback perspective. How do you see this thing playing out? I know some people like to believe that maybe they'll, they, maybe they could both be used. Uh, and you know, that's obviously not something that's, uh, very successful in the NFL but it just seems like they've set themselves up in a spot here where if Geno doesn't get off to a hot start, people are going to be calling for Vic. Yeah, that's going to happen. Um, that, that's definitely going to happen when you have a second-year quarterback who hasn't established himself as necessarily being the future in the franchise just yet. But I think, I mean, in the Jets, I think what you have to look at is they, they overall improved their quarterback situation this offseason for this particular year. Um, you know, Mike Vick is a clear upgrade over a Matt Sims, a Mark Sanchez, whatever name you want to give me, whoever they've, they've ran in here the last couple of years. So um, I think they were encouraged by the way Gino finished the season. They obviously set things up for him to win the job this offseason and you know him getting as many first-team reps as he did and performing well in the preseason. So, uh, so far he's, he's done everything they've asked, so he's it's sort of riding that uh, momentum as we head into the regular season. But uh, I, I think it would be foolish for the Jets to, to, to think, hey, this is definitely the guy based on what they saw last year. So they went out and decided, hey, we need to have a backup that we feel better about, that if things are not going well for Geno in a particular game or a particular stretch in the regular season, we can turn to this backup and feel confident about him coming in, making some plays, and maybe winning a couple games for us. And I think that's exactly what Mike Vick can be at this point in his career. Uh, he is 34. There are some warts and some red flags that have popped up over the last few years based on his performance, whether it be his inability to stay healthy, turn into football over, but what he's displayed since he's come in is that he still has a very strong arm, he's still very athletic, and can make plays with his legs, so I think that offers the Jets obviously a lot of versatility. Um, Gino is going to be the guy for now. Uh, I, I anticipate him having a much, much better season than he did last year. Not that, I mean, not that his stats really uh, could get much worse uh, if you look at them overall on paper last year. But, but I do expect him to, to make to make strides and, and take steps forward. Um, will you see Mike Vick at times? Possibly. I don't know that you're going to see them use them so as, a, as a quarterback tandem. What you might see is in a particular game, if Geno's struggling and you know they need to they need a bit of bit of a spark to start a second half, maybe they turn to Vick at that point. But but I'm of of the belief that uh, if Geno Smith doesn't suffer some sort of serious injury, I, I do believe that he'll start all 16 games again. And I think this offense will will show that they're ready to take the next step. And there'll be a reason that the Jets can, uh, you know, should should be, in my opinion, in, in the hunt at least for a wild card spot uh, as we move towards the second half of the year. Well, we got the opportunity to watch Eli you know, grow into what he's become or, or what he's now regressing to be possibly <laughs> over the last 10 years. And after Sanchez's first four years in the league, everyone, you know, I, I constantly saw this graphic where people compared his um, first four years in the league to Eli's, basically saying, you know, it, it takes time in this league to, to get to where you need to be. And, and hopefully, I think Jets fans thought that they would, uh, you know, get their Super Bowl finally and maybe Sanchez would be the, the franchise quarterback. Now he's obviously no longer there and now he's a backup in the league. But 
you get this sense with Gino after one year, um, you never really want to jump to conclusions early. But to me, it doesn't seem like he's really the future franchise quarterback of the Jets. And, you know, I'm not you – know, I see this team play only on Sundays 16 times a year. I don't watch the preseason. I'm not there at a training camp like you are every single day. But do you get the feeling that this is really the guy the Jets are going to be looking for, you know, six, seven years down the road still as their quarterback? I'm not convinced yet, and I don't think anyone should be convinced yet. I definitely see encouraging signs from where he was at the end of last year to compared to where he is now. Um, I, there are things that I've noticed just about the way he carries himself on the practice field, in the locker room, things he's saying, uh, the way he's answering questions, the look in his eye. I mean, those are all things you can just tell he's more comfortable uh, with, with, the, with where he's at. He's comfortable in his own skin. And things I've seen on the field. Now, I'm the first to admit it's, it was, you know, off-season, it was OTAs, minicamp, uh, training camp, preseason games. It's not the true test of whether or not he can be the guy. We know that's going to be the, the once we get into the regular season here. But, for, for you know, you can't, you can't skip ahead through those other things. And I think with each, as each month has passed and, and they've kind of gone through each of the tasks here to get through their off-season and get to where they are now, I think he's done quite well with it. And I've definitely seen, I've definitely seen strides. I think he looks more comfort, comfortable in the pocket. He clearly knows the offense inside and out. Uh, I think he's making better decisions with the football. You see him going through progressions. His footwork is, is, is much improved. And that was, at least when we talked to quarterbacks coach David Lee, he said was probably the most important thing that Geno had to overcome was just figuring out uh, his footwork going from a spread offense at West Virginia into a, a West Coast offense here in the NFL. So he had a lot of things he had to overcome. Uh, I think he has the right makeup to succeed in New York. He's a tough kid. He doesn't get flustered much by the media, by poor performances. I think we saw that last year. He played some terrible football in the month of November and came out the other end and finished the season on a high note. So you take all that into account. You look at some of the upgrades they've made on offense. The fact that he's second year in Marty Morning Wake system, not just Geno, but a lot of the holdovers on offense as well. Um, I think it sets up for for them to do well and for him to show that he can be the guy. But again, here we are. It's you know September third, first week of September. We're getting ready for the season opener. No one can predict how he's going to play. So we got to watch him go out and perform. Um, but I definitely think he's headed in the right direction at the moment. One thing working in his favor is uh, having a real weapon in Eric Decker, and certainly Decker's numbers were a product of also playing with Peyton Manning and having uh, several options and several weapons in Denver. Um, and you look at the Jets last season, I mean, their offensive uh, you know, weapons for wide receivers was just an atrocity, and now Decker gives them you know, at least somewhat of a threat, but... Is this sort of you know the similar situation we're having with Jennings when he leaves Green Bay and goes to Minnesota and he just his production declines? Obviously, he's no longer in the Green Bay offense, no longer with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, obviously, Decker's going to have a setback of, of some sorts because he's no longer with Peyton Manning. But how much of a setback is it going to come now with Geno and not Peyton? Yeah, I mean, look, he's he's not going to put up those eye popping fantasy numbers that he did in Denver, and it's a product of a lot of things. You know, whether it's the system, the change in the difference in quarterbacks. The fact that the Broncos threw it as much as they did last year, I and mean, the Jets are never going to come close to as many pass attempts as the Denver Broncos had last year. It's just, it's just not going to happen. So, uh, you know, from a fantasy standpoint, yeah, I wouldn't be looking to draft Eric Decker quite as high as you would have had he been still in the Denver Bronco offense. But what he brings is, uh, you know, an established veteran presence, uh, a guy that knows how to get himself open, runs good routes, has consistent hands. He's been a, a red zone threat for the, pretty much the duration of his career. 
uh, even when he had Tim Tebow thrown in footballs in Denver. So, uh, you know, I don't know that he's going to finish atop the, the wide receiver charts. Maybe he's not going to statistically grade out as what you would consider a number one receiver. But compared to what the Jets have, you bring a guy like that in, he instantly becomes their top target. There's no doubt about that. And I'm anxious to see how the rest of the offense kind of kind of molds around, you know, what, what Gino and Decker are doing. Uh, I still think they have question marks at receiver. Jeremy Curley is a nice player, slot guy, dependable on third down. But, you know, can he be a consistent contributor? Can he keep himself healthy? He missed four games last year. They lost all four of them. I don't think that was a coincidence. Um, they don't have much depth in terms of established players after that at receiver. But I think what they do have, uh, and, and it should help, uh, should help Decker, should help Geno, should help the offense in general, is a very strong backfield when you add Chris Johnson to the mix with Chris Ivory and Bilal Powell. And in terms of the passing game, uh, I'm anxious to see these tight ends. The Jets are really high on all three of their guys. Uh, Jeff Cumberland, Jason Marr, who's their second-round pick, and Zach Sudfeld, who's just a beast of a human being. Uh, and I think you're going to see those guys used a lot. There'll be a lot of two tight end sets, and I think Geno will be targeting his tight ends quite a bit to maybe overcome some of the lack of depth they have uh, at wide receivers. So you, you take that all into account, and I think it should help maybe take some of the pressure and some of the focus off of an Eric Decker, which should allow him to, uh, to, to get a decent amount of targets and put up some numbers in this offense this year. Rex Ryan certainly changed since uh, where he was at this point uh, five years ago in his first season with the Jets. And, um, you know, whether it's uh, his, his actual physical appearance or the, the way he handles the media, he's changed drastically. And, you know, he got that extension after last season, uh, the multi-year extension, I believe, gets him through 2016 but not fully guaranteed in 2015 something odd like that you'd obviously know more about it than I do but you know he needed to win that final game in the regular season last year it seems like to to keep moving on as Jets coach what does he need to do this year you know is there a certain plateau he has to reach does this team have to win nine games do they have to make the playoffs um or is there really is there is there anything that's you know a, a guaranteed firing for Rex after the season or is there anything that's a guaranteed bringing him back I don't know that there's a set number of wins. I mean, I'm not inside the head of Woody Johnson and John Idzik, and I think it's also important to kind of take into account how these games are won and lost. I mean, if we step back and say, hey, last year they were 8-8, eight and eight, it's okay. Uh, considering some of the predictions at the beginning of the season and the fact that their, you know, their roster wasn't all that strong, they did a nice job. But you know, I could, I could play devil's advocate and point to the season opener against the Bucks and then that overtime game they won against the Patriots at home and say they were the beneficiary of, of a you know, personal foul penalty against Levante David in the Bucks game and then a, and a very bizarre special teams penalty against the Pats. So that's what I mean. You, you take it game to game, you kind of have to analyze, I think, where – is the team ascending or are they descending in terms of their momentum? So I think for Rex, uh, while he is a defensive coach, I think you want to see this offense take strides forward and show some continuity with Geno at quarterback, with Marty Morningway calling the, calling the plays. And I think this defense, despite their question marks in the secondary, uh, needs to show that they can be a reliable unit. We know they're stacked up front. The defensive line is arguably one of the better units in the league. Uh, I think their linebackers are maybe a little underrated. I look for a guy like Demario Davis to have a real big season. Um, so they have some pieces on defense. So I, I just think the team needs to show some more consistency. Under Rex Ryan, uh, when they win a game the following week, they've struggled to stack wins. So you'd like to see them put some runs together. I think that the, the roster has 10-win talent. It's a very tough first-half schedule. I don't know that they get to 10 wins. But they should be in the hunt for a wild card spot as they come down the end of the regular season where their schedule, at least on paper, is softer. So if he's not in playoff contention and he misses out for a fourth straight year, despite whatever their record might be, 
Um, I would, that would certainly raise an eyebrow, and it wouldn't surprise me if John Isaac decided to pull the trigger, make a move, uh, and bring in a, a head coach of his own. So, you know, again, we'll have to see how the, the course, of the, how, how the ebb and flow of the schedule goes. I don't think that there's set criteria, so I'll kind of be keeping an eye on just a, an overall synopsis of where they're at at the end of the year. Well, I'm sure some Jets fans would like uh, to share your optimism because, ten, you know, 10 win potentially. I mean, when you look at this team, and, and certainly Oakland, I saw, hasn't won a game in the Eastern time zone in like five years or something. Uh, but after that, you know, this six-week stretch, basically a gauntlet with Green Bay, Chicago, Detroit, San Diego, Denver, New England. I, I mean, it, it, you don't want to really want to look ahead and say win here, loss there. And it's more about when you, you know, when you play teams in the season and not who you play. But I, that's pretty much one of the toughest stretch I've, I've seen for any team in a long time. It is, and, and you're right. You, it's you don't want to look ahead and say win or loss, but that's all. That's what we do at this time of year. I mean, that's that's all you can do as you're sitting through preseason football, waiting for the regular <laughs> season to begin. So you know we're all guilty of that, and it is on paper a very tough schedule. But you know, I look back to last year; they beat the Saints at home. I know New Orleans isn't the same team on the road as they are at home. Uh, they won that Falcons game Monday night in Atlanta. The Falcons had a dreadful season, but before the year, we definitely would have been calling that a loss. So um, they, they're going to face some some diesel offenses, quarterback, wide receiver combinations. Uh, but you never know. Injuries, like you said, it's not it's not it, it's really about when you play the team rather than what team it is. So you know, I, I think in those first eight games, we talk about that stretch from weeks two through seven. If they can manage to get through the first half of the season at at, at I'm not going to even say four and four. I'll say three and five. If they can get through at three and five, I still think it sets them up nicely in the second half to try and make a run towards a wild card berth. Um, you know, they have a couple of tough games coming out of the bye. They're at Kansas City, I know, one week, which is always a tough place to play. Um, but they do have some softer some softer games there on the back end of the schedule. So uh, I think it should put them in contention. It's easy to say now in early September. You never know about injuries and what might happen. But, um, you know, they were 8-8 eight eight last year. They won a couple of miraculous games. They've definitely made some upgrades on offense. I think Geno is going to perform much, much better than he did last year. Uh, and I still think that the defense up front is going to cause a lot of problems for opposing offenses, despite some of the question marks they have in the secondary. So it's not a perfect roster by any stretch of the imagination. They do they do have some warts, um, but I do expect them to be a very competitive team here this season. Well, I joke that uh, the Yankees, you know, they barely got me to Giants season. Um, <laughs> and, and pretty much, they're, you know, they're as dead as can be right now with a slight glimmer of hope. And uh, I can only hope the Giants can, can make it through September with their problems and get us to Rangers season. But I, I hope for your sake that, you know, Jets uh, training camp and preseason kept you from watching this Yankees disaster. I haven't watched as closely as I have in the past. I will admit that. And, and what's I think what really kind of tells the story is, you know, I'm as big a Derek Jeter fan as anyone. I mean, he was my guy since I was a little kid, grew up with him, and here he is in his final year, now the final month of his career, and it's and I don't find myself, like, sprinting to the TV or getting to Yankee Stadium, like, I've got to watch these games, because this team in general is just, it's just so blah. There's just nothing for me to connect to, and after Jeter goes, you know, I, I don't know. I, I hate to say that. I don't know where my Yankee fandom is going to be. And uh, so I think that goes to show it's not really about the guys that they spend money on and bring in for me. It's about those guys that maybe they develop and come up through their system and you connect with. And it's just not there right now. So uh, it's kind of heartbreaking and bittersweet right now. I mean, it's the end of a great career for Derek Jeter, but to see him go out batting 260 on a team that's probably not going to make the playoffs, is, it's unfortunate. I mean, it happens in baseball and professional sports all the time. Guys don't go out at the height of the, at the peak of their career. Most of them don't. Uh, but this is this has been tough. Uh, I'm not going to lie. It's it's been a very very 
very disappointing, and I know that uh, nobody knows that better than you do. <laughs> well, it's depressing to hear someone, you know, you know, we're the same age, graduated college the same year, <laughs> and to hear someone of our age who grew up with this team, grew up with Jeter, and, you know, like I say, he's been the shortstop since we were in fourth grade, and, you know, to hear someone else have that, that feeling that you don't know what will happen after this year with the Yankees because, you know, obviously as, as you get older and, and life changes, uh, your attachment to a team, certainly when all the players you grew up with are gone, is going to change as well. And it just seems weird to think about, you know, the future Yankees, I mean, going into next year and uh, the only connection to, to really anything of uh, a, being a teenager or going to college is A-Rod. And it's uh, hard to root for a team that's focused around Brian McCann and Carlos Beltran and Jacoby Ellsbury. Yeah, and you know I have nothing against those guys. I mean, I don't. I understand they've a lot of them have underperformed this year, but um, you know it is what it is. But it's just it's just very different. It, it's it, yeah, it's a clear sign. I'm getting older. I mean, Jeter's the, the the last the last remaining guy from those those championship teams I watched growing up. So it's uh, it, it's tough to swallow. I mean, I, the Yankees have kind of changed the way. I don't want to say change the way, but they've taken it to a, a even another level the way they do business now. I, I just would like to see them get back to trying to, to trying to develop some talent. I think they've got some nice pitchers that they've brought up along the way, but uh, in terms of position players, man, it seems like the cupboard is bare. So you wonder when the next not not that there's going to be another Derek Jeter, but you wonder when that next young kid comes along that uh, fans can get excited about. Not even for guys like you and I, but for the young kids that are the age we were when Derek, when Jeter came up. You want you want those young kids to be able to maybe attach attach themselves to someone that actually was developed and came up through the Yankee system, rather than the guy that they traded for, paid money to in free agency. It's just a different vibe. <laughs> well, I guess the only plus side to the uh, to the Yankee downswing here, when looks like to be back to back postseason list seasons for the first time since the early '90s, is is the rise of the Rangers and uh, <laughs> and. You know they obviously had their fair share of breaks, which any team has to to reach the Cup final. But uh, it's going to be you know a tall task to to even get back there. It's going to be tall task just to to reach the playoffs with the with the you know how strong the Eastern Conference is getting. But um, at least you have something to feel good about there with with uh, the Rangers in hockey season. You do, and and I agree. It's going to be tough for them to get back to where they they were last year. And part of me wonders if it was sort of the the one shot that they'll have with Henry Funkus between the pipes. I hope not. Uh, but the fact that on a year-to-year basis we're talking about the Rangers being playoff contenders and even Stanley Cup contenders is still very refreshing for me because it's—I don't feel all that far removed from that you know late '90s to mid 2000s era where they were just awful every year. And similar to what the Yankees are going through now, guys they threw money at just and it just came in and, and it never worked out. So uh, there's an example of an organization that has done a nice job of mixing some of their own young, homegrown talent with some free agents, uh, free agent guys that they've gotten their hands on. So uh, I like what they've done. I, I know the lockout kind of changed, the first lockout kind of changed things and almost forced Glenn Sather to take a different approach. But, hey, uh, you know, i got to give credit where credit's due. They've done a nice job. They've been a perennial contender, and that's been a lot of fun for me. I, I would say that, uh, you know, being, being in the sports media business has definitely dulled my fandom uh, in certain extents, but not with the Rangers. That, that fire still burns pretty strong, I think, as anyone who might follow me on Twitter is, is, is certainly aware of. So Yankees and Giants, maybe not quite what it was, but uh, I, I still live and die with the Rangers, and I hope to see them have another successful season. Well, I think the thing with the Rangers is that, uh, you know, when they were down 3-1 to the Penguins and they gave, made a 3-2, and I was saying, you know, just get – make it a series, get to Game 7 if they lose there or whatever. And then they win that series, and I'm like, all right, well, they made the Eastern Conference Final. They should, probably shouldn't have. I'm okay with it. And then when Carey Price gets hurt, 
You know, I'm thinking they have to make the final. This is a disaster. And if they just get there, I don't care if they win or lose, they made the Stanley Cup final. But then once you get to that point and the fact that those games were so winnable, they blew, you know, the first two games, they blew three, they lost three overtime games in, in, in five game series. Um, and really the Kings weren't that much better, even though, you know, history will show they won it in five games. And I think, like you said, the thing that stings the most is, it's so hard, especially in hockey, to get to the finals, and you never know when you'll be back there. You know, for the Rangers, it was 20 years, and if you'll ever get back there again. And uh, I think that's what hurt the most is that it was right there for the taking. It was, you know, they had a very good chance to win that series, and they didn't. And you just don't want to look back at someday when you know Henrik Lundqvist is giving a speech at MSG, and and his one moment was, uh, you know, trying to carry single-handedly carry that team to the final in 2013-14. Uh, yeah, I hope not either. I mean, that's. That's the beauty of sport, and it's and it and it's gut wrenching at times. But you just never know. You know, you never know when your one one opportunity might come and go. But yeah, I'm with you. I mean, it was kind of each stage of the playoffs. You know, you're getting more and more greedy. It's that old children's book. You give a give a mouse a cookie, he's going to want some milk. So <laughs> I think we were all in the same boat there. And closer and closer we got, the more you could taste it. And it was it was a great ride. I mean, it, it was it was a lot of fun. Yes, it was it was very tough to watch in the end. And, and I agree with you. I don't think. The cup final was quite as one-sided as uh, as the record book might indicate, but you know it is what it is. You take nothing away from the Kings; they're obviously a very talented team and a talented organization. So, um, you know, I'm anxious. I'm anxious for the season to get going. See what this new new group is going to bring to the table. Uh, if they can recapture some of that magic, you know, if what Lundqvist still has left. I mean, obviously he should still have a lot left in the tank, but um, we know he's a very emotional guy that that sort of lives and dies with, with each of these these uh, these springs when the Rangers get to the playoffs. So uh, I hope he was able to get away from it for a little while, refresh himself, and come back and uh, try and backstop this team back into the Stanley Cup final. But we're a long ways away from that. We got to see. Hopefully, they can get themselves off to a better start this year than they did last year. That that would certainly go a long way in uh, helping them get back. Uh, but we'll see how it plays out. All right, Seal. Well, you know we'll have to talk again at some point during the season. Get a little Jets update. And, and now that hockey's only you know basically four weeks away from starting. Uh, you know, we'll get you back on talk Rangers. We'll get Monzo in the mix, Carver, and uh, you know, hopefully the Rangers do give us a good winter and give us something to look forward to as we head to next spring. But you know, it's good to hear from you, and uh, you know, we'll have to talk again this fall. Sounds good, Neil. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure.